Hello, and welcome to The City Unfinished. Today's episode revolves around a conversation between urban sociologist Anastasia Halavnova and science and technology studies researcher Justine Laurent. They're both PhD candidates at the University of Amsterdam. Here's Anastasia. Peen is political. This is Anastasia, aka Nasty. How does the city organize the process of urinating or defecating? And uh, are there any urinating inequalities in the cities? Today we will talk about the design of public toilets, the bodies that these toilets are made for, and how can we make the toilet experiences pleasurable for different bodies, both sitting and standing. I got interested in the topic after the protest that happened in 2017, Power to PP, and um, it was organized by a Dutch woman who was fined for peeing publicly. What is important is that most public areas in Amsterdam feature outdoor urinals designed for men, or those with penises, or those peeing standing. And surprise, surprise, there are only around three public toilets with those for women in the city. In order to follow up on this question, how do people pee or poo, we, we invited our colleague Justine Laurent, who is writing their PhD dissertation on the children's practices of peeing and pooping in private spaces of apartments, which is super important for our thinking on the issue of design of public urinals. So I have one first question for Justine. Uh, actually, it considers the protest. Uh, whether you, Justine, remember the protest, uh, Power to PP, and uh, how it affected you? It was, I don't remember. Yeah, it was in September 17, mm-hmm. 2017, something like that. And yeah. I remember I was traveling. So everybody sent, all my colleagues sent me like tons of email. Have you seen what's happening in Amsterdam? And so I came back at the beginning of October and then I started talking with a few informants and colleagues about that. And a few days after, a few weeks after I had this party at the at the single, uh, close to the single library, mm-hmm. there was this um, squatted kind of, yeah, uh, student center, mm-hmm. uh, the spin house that now has been evicted. But there was this um, uh yeah, a fundraiser for the environment, water things or something like that. And uh, and there was no toilet, or I don't remember if there was no toilet or the toilet wasn't working, but we couldn't go pee. So me and my friends would just like group up by group of two because it was super busy. We didn't want to get lost. And then go in a nearby cafe and just pee together to sneak in because you're not supposed to do it. And then, or but when there, it's super busy a Friday evening or something, it's fine. But uh, and at one o'clock, everything closes. So at one o'clock, it was super cold. I, it was October, but already very cold. And we were peeing in between cars. But I had this protest content in my mind because I both was like, oh, no, I don't want to get arrested for that. But also I was like, no, but if anybody says something, I'm going to like yeah. stay my right and I'm going to pee on them if I have to. Yeah. Uh, and I was annoyed that a few of my friends were like a few of my male friends or some of 
some of the friends who can pee standing, they had not only like the possibility to pee in the canal, but also as like in the picture I brought, they had like, there's a urinal right up to the stairs of this place. So they all had no, they did not even notice that it was one o'clock. And yeah. so for us, it was a very different business after one o'clock. Mm -hmm. So, and then I remember being particularly, usually I think I pee in the center is a bit difficult, but mm -hmm. I can pee without difficulty. Uh, between cars I don't mind too much but at that mm -hmm. moment because she was fined 90 euros she didn't even win the the, the case I mean she, you mean the woman that started the, woman, the protest sorry, exactly yeah. she was fined 90 euros and apparently the judge said that uh, she should still have used the standing urinal even if it was It might not be pleasant, but it is possible. Mm -hmm. And I ask him how, because I can't, or without pee everywhere in my trousers yeah. at least. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I was cold and trying to pee and being very angry and almost hoping to be arrested to argue my right to pee there. Okay. I'd be like, you know how many urinals? Three. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, as far as I understand, one of the major results of the protests were um, the discussion that was provoked also among urban planners in the city of Amsterdam Um, to install kind of gender-neutral urinals, public urinals in the city. Mm. And we ourselves with our team also went to visit these urinals. Mm. There is one in the Dam Square, which uh, appears out of nowhere during the evening time. And this object is very interesting and fascinating for the analysis. First of all, there are like two corners for male urination and one female cabin. And this cabin is closed with a very heavy door. And I personally had some troubles opening it up. And this female cabin, for me, it looked like 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 a spaceship, like a futurist uh, spaceship with this neon sign Damas. And the neon sign changes the color from red when it's busy to green when it's um, accessible. Of course, it smells. The first thing that you notice when you go closer to the space is the smell. Also, if you think how heavy the door is, and if you're holding a kid or a bag and you're overloaded with shitload of stuff, you cannot open the door. It's almost impossible. So you need a help, extra help. When you enter this female cabin, you don't see a sink to wash your hands. You don't see uh, toilet paper. Everything is super automated. Actually, there is nothing to interact with except for the very toilet in which you're supposed to pee or poo. But why would you need apparently sink or toilet paper? I guess the urban planner or the designer who was thinking about the design of this space didn't ask that question. Mm. And um, also the toilet flashes once you close the door with this very heavy sound that we recorded and so that our audience will hear that. Yes. <laughs> As Nasty mentioned, the urinal we just heard is explicitly meant for women, or more specifically, damas, as is written in Dutch at the top. When it comes to political debates on urinating inequalities in the city, gender is often central, as Justine points out. Of course, it. I think, first of all, from an activist, political, and especially, let's say, urgent and immediate point of view, Uh, it's very important to make it about gender, even about gender binary, about men and women, because in a way, in that way, we can make the request of, you know, demanding equality faster, We faster. Activists have developed, you know, the kind of uh, reasoning and solution and trying to pressure 
um, when you see that there is 35 male urinal and three female toilet that do not even work, uh, I think, throughout the night or yeah. something like that. One is in a mall or something. Uh, well, on the topic of the gendered politics of peeing and pooping in public, uh, Justine told us about a cool project by designer Elisa Otanez called The Yellow Spot. On her website, uh, the artist describes it as a mobile toilet uh, designed as a short-term solution in response to the lack of public facilities for women in the Netherlands. Elisa goes on to say that it works as a waterless urinal, which gives it autonomy of mobility, making it independent of any sewage system. In her words, this project is not only about toilets, but also about our capacity of experiencing and learning to observe cities through a gender perspective lens. In the case of this particular project, the city in question was Eindhoven, south of the Netherlands. Uh, because in Eindhoven, is, uh, there is, I don't know, 10 uh, male urinals, but zero female uh, urinals, free, free one. There is one paying one. Uh, and so she made this uh, sort of uh, rolling, uh, it looks like the place in which you vote, you know, like this mm-hmm. rolling yellow cabin, portable toilet with a little toilet inside. And on both sides, uh, it's written, on one side is um, free toilet and the other one is occupied by women. Mm-hmm. So she transported it in the market of Eindhoven to make a kind of awareness intervention. And indeed, mm-hmm. when you see the cabin through the market, you see people react in a really weird way. So I think this is definitely a project to check and something that is very important. In their own work, though, Justine engages practices of peeing and pooping through what they call body techniques, rather than male or female capacities. Here's why. Uh, I would rather talk about sitting and standing toilet than to talk about women and men's toilet. Uh, because if I talk about sitting and standing, it focuses on uh, how we use our body, how we sit, how we push, how we wipes, all things that are relevant and things that I, I, I call body techniques in my work. Uh, because otherwise the toilet discussion ends up, if it's about gender, ends up actually not being about gender, but being about genitals. Mm-hmm. And then the question becomes weirdly completely publicly about granting rights on people according to the shape of their genitals. Genitals. Mm -hmm. So then I think there could be a way more interesting discussion on gender, I don't say, but the problem is people are obsessed with genitals of trans people. So then it always ends up being, uh, yeah, being about genitals. In a way, all the the warning already, not all men have penises, first of all. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some of my informant of friends with penises would never ever use a public bathroom either because they can't pee in public, they become blocked or because it's too high. The Dutch uh, standard of toilet is really high. And so some of my friends really like, pee themselves if they mm-hmm. use the public urinal. So, uh, and I'm not trying to bring back penises. <laughs> uh, I'm actually trying to bring the discussion out of, you know, talking about junk yeah. and talking about the uh, what is in your panties and instead who can access this toilet, what types of body. Because, for instance, what we discussed also earlier uh, is that the the ones that are damned are not accessible for people in wheelchair. The, the, the wheelchair doesn't fit in, in the cabin. So, which means that there is still not an extra accessible toilet for people in wheelchair. Um, And as you said, it's difficult even already if you walk with children. And many women I interview also don't use, would tell me after a while if it was not the topic, but they would tell me they would never use public restroom because... Often it's too high, so you have to sit on it. Yeah. Uh, there is not enough paper or not paper at all sometimes. And they cannot hover over it because many women cannot, don't have enough strength in the legs or it's too yeah. high or I don't know, you're tired or you don't, you know. 
So a lot of people don't would kind of instead of making it about gender, making it about problem of how to access or how to use the toilet in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question of gender is relevant here, but talking about body techniques open maybe other politics. I would say that are mm-hmm. not just about men and women. Justine illustrated these points nicely with an anecdote from their own research, which focuses empirically on two contexts that are interrelated. One encompasses the mundane practices related to peeing and pooping present in the everyday lives of families with small children. The other side of their research has to do with the infrastructural side, more specifically with wastewater treatment plants in and around the city of Amsterdam. The following story refers to the first site. The names have been changed to protect the privacy of the research informants. So it was a family that lives in Amsterdam uh, with uh, Sophia, who is six years old, and her brother, Paul, who is eight years old. They lived in the south of Amsterdam, and I followed them for a couple of months or a little bit more, but yeah, uh, last year uh, during the during the summer. And um, so the following story was the, the, the family story of how the kids learned to poop. So Paul learned with difficulty to poop in the toilet when he was four and a half. Peeing was working okay. Sophia is now six, but at three-year-old, she said, I'm done with diapers. The first time it happened uh, Mm -hmm. to Sophia, actually, she was with her father at the mall. So he was kind of overwhelmed with fatherly pride of his Mm -hmm. daughter being three years old, which is early in the Netherlands. They generally do four. Uh, So he was very proud, but at the same time, super struggling. He told me that as a horror story he was telling over and over because it was not big enough to be with her, but he had to hold her and it was disgusting. And so... But she still was not discouraged and really wanted to use the toilet to poop. But when she was peeing, it was a little bit of a little bit of a more complicated situation because, for instance, at the park, uh, Paul was allowed to pee just next to next to you know the picnic, uh, a little bit further with his dad standing, and she had to be like a bit further away in a secret place, in a kind of hidden, mm-hmm. and be carried by one of the parents or one of the adults, and she was really pissed about because that. she cannot sit. Uh, no, she didn't manage to really sit. She would fall. And one time, I think she felt in this sort of nettle. And so she was very scared. And so, and she's six also. She's, she was quite small. Yeah. Um, and so what the parents did as a, as a kind of, because it became really a tension in the family where she became more jealous of the brother and refused really to pee. She had a lot of urinary tract infection and it became really complicated. Uh, but in the end, what they did is like they first, she could pee standing in the shower or every time they would go to the park, they would put a dress, whereas she preferred trousers. But for the park, she would put dress so like that she can just pee standing also if she just spread her legs. Or they bought her, uh, they said, they promised when I, I don't know if they did, but when I was leaving the family, they had said that they would, they will get her this plast out, which is this little fennel, fennel to, for women to pee standing. She was very, <laughs> very fun. She really wanted that. So in a way, yes, it is about gender, but it's also really about standing and sitting. How can we make toilet, uh, for everybody to be able to stand? Or how can we make toilet for everybody, including people with richer or functional diversity to be able to use and sit? So that would be more the political question that I would ask, even if, again, there is an urgency with the question of gender and women as well. And I'm now thinking, like, taking all of that into account, the difference between the bodies, uh, the ones that sit, the ones that stand, and that stand differently and that sit differently, how can we bring that back to the urban planning practice in a way? Because I'm bothered by the question, why are those bodies who are sitting mostly to pee or poop, which are associated with female bodies yeah. still, why are they not considered by the planning practice or by the designing practice in the city? 
First, I just had a thought in mind. I was thinking about, I watched this video around the protest to reprepare with, with you. And I remember all the women were, oh, and also of this uh, project in Eindhoven. And a lot of women were, were responding, well, we feel there is no public toilet because, well, anyway, uh, people, Sorry, people know that we can uh, we can uh, just enter restaurant and ask. So, and one woman said, like, "Well, maybe we're more compliant, you know, in a way we will not be in the street. Men drunk will be in the street, but mm -hmm. we will just go in the restaurant and ask." So there is this imaginaries, you know, of the yeah docile bodies in a way, or the body that obeys. But also, and I because it's a brilliant question, but way too complicated for me to answer. But I think I just want to answer with a kind of making a cultural reference to this movie called uh, Wetlands. And uh, so it's the story of Helen, 18 years old, which is all day long on her skateboard with short hair, listening to peaches in her headphones yeah. and um, do, talking about her hemorrhoids, uh, doing uh, hygienic... Uh, the scene everybody talks about is this scene at the beginning. She arrives in a public toilet, which is like covered in water and pee and weird condoms and different... Well, you don't know, you know, public yeah. toilet, the caricature of the public toilet. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. she's bare feet uh, and she walks in that, but walks like as if it was nice, you know, nice, yeah. clear water <laughs> and like looks at stuff and grab a few stuff. And then very slowly takes her finger and like wipes the seat with her finger mm -hmm. and then licks and, and licks her finger. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is also, she always experiments with her own bodily fluid her periods, with vegetables, with all sort of food stuff, but also is intimate with a bunch of people in more or less, if I remember, respectful way. But generally, she managed to mix, to, you know, have, have it her way, maybe, or at least work through things. So it starts like a great, you know, a good feminist movie. But then happens the, well, then it's a spoiler, but <laughs> happens that all of a sudden she ends up at the psychiatric hospital because, uh, of course, someone, a woman that likes bodily fluid and that is so into her own body and not closed off. So, you know, the, 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 I don't know if people are more shocked with the sex or they all seem to obsess about licking the toilet seat, which is also important. But I think it's really more the, the she's very free, you know, she's 18 year old and she's super free. But what we like, she ends up all this blood end up being about self-harm and mental illness and family dysfunction. And and she wants to put back her mom and her dad together and bam, that's super sad. Like, so in a way, it was a bit this idea that there is a certain remaining of the witch or the crazy woman in the person, you know, enjoying their body or being able to talk about shit, talk about bodily fluid and this kind of thing. So in a way, that's why there is something, a very good intervention, feminist intervention in making it about the female, maybe. And this is all the, the literature, very good on kind of leaky body feminism that talk about how we have to start taking seriously uh, a body that leaks, a body that sweats, a body that has periods, a body that uh, poops and pees and that can be incontinent as a good body as well and not just a, a good male closed off dry body. Mm -hmm. So that's one political intervention. Mine would be more also to go towards different things. But I do think that this example of wetland really shows that there is something that can be really interestingly exploring the kind of transgressive we don't want to believe that women are transgressive, but if we want to play around with the transgressive image of women and toilets and what fluids, does it mean uh, transgressive? Well, the the again that she cannot the reason why this this person in this movie is at the mental health hospital 
like the, her behavior with her body becomes a symptom of that. So in a way, imagining a woman that can enjoy herself without being crazy is not possible. It's transgressive. It's not of this imaginary. So in a way, we can either decide to leave all together the men and women or indeed use that and make fun mm-hmm. and being like, so we're all crazy because like, let's start to put blood everywhere or her project to this person, the, the Elisa in Eindhoven, she's called Yellow Spot and her visit card is this like big drop of urine. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. ah, Okay, so I think they're also really great work there. To close, Justine touched upon the importance of discussing accessibility, for instance. But this is not the only value at play in how we practice, imagine, and represent public toilets. Here's Justine. A lot of things is about accessibility, which is a super important question, especially in Amsterdam, which is a city where nothing is accessible to people in wheelchair. But... The question of accessibility is not the only one. Indeed, there's in the movie, the public toilet is, is disgusting. But it's like, why do we need to make a caricature as, as, as in train spotting? Every time there is train spotting, yeah, every time there is a toilet scene, it's really gross. It's like, so I agree, our public toilets are disgusting, but it's not only disgusting. So I would like to have also a discussion on cleanliness or a discussion on ease to use the toilet, you know, like uh, maybe the hand dryer, the hand sanitizer, okay, it's automatic, so it's less disgusting, maybe. But for me, I don't find it very, very comfort, like very efficient. So I always end up wanting paper. Well, Mm -hmm. paper is not sustainable. So, but we have to look at different values, not just accessible or not just men and women, but also Mm -hmm. enjoyable. Like why not having good toilet experience? Mm -hmm. It could be fun. Thank you so much, Justine, and uh, good luck with the research in peeing and pooping. Thank you. (laughs) We have just listened to a conversation between Anastasia and Justine, and by we, I mean Carolina, Sarita, Anastasia, a.k.a. Nasty, (laughs) and Elisa. As usual, in the City Unfinished, after a collective listening session, we had a little chat about it. Stay with us. When I was listening to the conversation that uh, Justine and Anastasia had, um, I couldn't help but think about uh, my experience of the last um, Pride Parade that I went to, the Canal Parade. Because I remember that at some point after drinking a couple of glasses of wine, I really needed to go to the bathroom. And uh, and of course, I had to go to a cafe because there was no other opportunity mm-hmm. to do it in the street because it, the streets were packed with people and there was no hidden place where I could squat down and, mm-hmm. um, and pee. And I remember that not only did I have to pay one euro to use the toilet, but I also had to queue uh, close to one hour Mm -hmm. in order to go. So I think that the problem with the the political problem with being then is even more felt in the occasion of these big events with tons of people uh, in the street. Yeah, the time is super important now that you mentioned that time is a political dimension or value that is implicit or explicit in the design of toilets Mm -hmm. for different bodies. It was quite interesting also in your conversation about how um, you met that you mentioned how timing is inbuilt in the design of these public toilets that are, let's say, for women or for people who do not want to use the the curls, the public urinals, and how there is, um, yeah, after you get out of the toilet, you have these 14, 15 seconds in which the door closes, the toilet uh, flushes and is washed, 
And then I don't know how long it takes before it can be used again. So indeed, I mean, the mm-hmm. queuing becomes longer mm-hmm. and you have to stand there and with all the associated um, yeah, downsides. Exactly. But talking about, yeah, not just about gendered experiences, but thinking through, as Justine uh, mentioned, and is there intervention around uh, focusing on techniques and uh, around sitting and standing, but also uh, various other experiences? Yeah, that's a very interesting point, and I like how Justine connects it to different politics of values implicit in the design and it's not only about cleanness dirtiness or sitting standing as a technique but also let's discuss sustainability let's discuss the pleasurability Mm -hmm. of the toilet Mm -hmm. there are so many things that can be Mm. made possible for the design that we literally dismiss very fast there has been uh, a similar protest to the one that you mentioned here Mm -hmm. in amsterdam uh, about a year ago, in August 2018, uh, in Paris, because the city installed these new uh, urinals uh, in the street where they have, it's basically a concrete block with some plants on top. Uh, but a feminist organization protested against against them, and they basically attached um, uh, tampons and, and sanitary pads um, mm. to protest against the sexist and discriminatory urinals because they say... Uh, the city government is basically encouraging men to um, reveal themselves and unzip themselves in public space, but uh, it's still a problem, for example, when women want to breastfeed in public. So it's also about, um, it, so it's a conversation that is not happening only in Amsterdam, but there there is definitely a bigger network of people who is thinking um, about about that. Yeah, and it definitely perfectly connects to this argument of Justine's also that the toilets are designed for dried off bodies and what is a good body the body Mm -hmm. that does not leak too much and if it's leaky then okay then maybe you should be hidden somewhere from the public view from Mm -hmm, the street landscape Mm -hmm. and the Paris protest I guess is a very good example for that to make it a little bit more leaky at least in the representation to put tampons to attach it This podcast was made possible by a seed grant awarded by the Center of Urban Studies of the University of Amsterdam. The talking, thinking, and editing were done by Elisa Fiore, Anastasia Halonyova, Sarita Jarmak, and myself, Carolina Forsach. Original music and sound mixing are by Luca Di Maio.